Morning, church. Morning. Uh, greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we are going to look at the first 11 verses. Matthew chapter 4 from verse 1 to verse 11. The title of my sermon is Jesus, our triumphant Savior. Jesus, our triumphant Savior. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the, the title of my sermon this morning is Jesus, our triumphant Savior. Now, before we get into the sermon, uh, I want to answer three questions that are critical to our understanding of this sermon, to understanding of uh, this section of scripture. And I want to ask these three questions. What is fasting? What is temptation? And who was tempting Jesus? Was it the Holy Spirit or was it the devil? Now, what is fasting? A biblical definition of fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And so there's these three key ideas here. It is Christian, and it is voluntary, and it is for spiritual purposes. So, so this is a strict definition of fasting. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones has a broader definition of fasting, and he says this, and uh, we also accept this. To make the matter complete, we should add that fasting 
if we conceive it truly, must not only be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. So, so Dr. Martello Jones here says, even though, strictly speaking, when the Bible talks about fasting, it's talking about abstinence from food, we can include other things other than food. So you can think about uh, things such as TV, Netflix, or the internet, games, leisure, so on and so forth. And now, what is temptation? And uh, I like this definition by Dr. Michael Milton. He says, temptation is the intentional enticement of a person by some bait to disobey God's revealed word. So temptation always comes in the form of distortion of God's word and defiance of God's mission in the world. And so anything that distorts God's word and anything that tries to cause you to sin is temptation. So temptation in and of itself is not sinful, but leads to sin. And so who was tempting Jesus? Was it the Holy Spirit or was it the devil? Uh, we, we, we saw here on our passage, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. In other words, God ordained the temptation of Jesus, but the devil is the agent of tempting Jesus, or as the Bible puts it, the devil is the tempter. Okay, so uh, this is this is so that we are in line with what all of the Bible teaches about this doctrine of temptation. James chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So, so brothers and sisters, uh, here's a, a, a nugget here. Um, if you have difficult questions about who God is and how God operates and what God does, it's helpful sometimes to memorize uh, catechism questions. And one of the helpful catechism questions and answers for me uh, when it comes to difficult questions is, is this question that says, what is God? And, and the answer says, God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal He's infinite and unchangeable in his power and perfection, in his goodness and glory, in wisdom, justice, and truth. And listen to this last statement, which is what helped me to think about this question. And nothing happens except through him and by his will. So nothing happens except through him and by his will. Now, brethren, let me state the focus of our sermon this morning. So now that we've got those questions out of the way and you all know what fasting is, what temptation is, and who exactly was tempting Jesus, now let's get to our sermon, the focus of our sermon this morning. Brothers and sisters, I want us to see three defenses that our Lord Jesus Christ used to overcome the temptations of the devil so that we can be ever confident in him and imitate his example. 
when we are tempted. And so I want us to see these three defenses. So I want us to find our first method of defense from this first temptation of Jesus from Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. Now this text says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, pay attention to verse 3. If you are the son of God. You see, the devil, say, the devil is saying this in the backdrop of God affirming Jesus as his beloved son. See, Jesus stood before John to be baptized as a way of being set apart to his priestly service. See, Jesus stood before John the Baptist to make proclamations of salvation. And God responds to these proclamations of salvation by affirming Jesus, by saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now the devil takes on and he wants to, he wants to, to cast doubt on the identity, on the ability and the credibility of Jesus Christ. The devil comes and says, hmm, are you the son of God for real? Do you think you can succeed where others fail? Adam tried and he failed. Israel tried and failed. Are you the one who is, who is to fulfill the desires of the Father? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. So, well, exactly, uh, what is this temptation, really? See, in order to understand what the temptation is, we must ask another question. What was the purpose of the fasting of Jesus Christ in the wilderness? Matthew does not tell us, but the parallel account in Deuteronomy tells us this. And so, remember, uh, Jesus is appearing here as the true and better Israel. And we, we saw in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, where it speaks about Jesus as the true and better Son of God, the true and better Israel, the one who has replaced Israel and the one who stands as the better Israel. And the parallel passages in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. I want you to notice the parallels here. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 to 3. And you shall remember... The whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Remember, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. That he might humble you. You see, this is the purpose of the, the, uh, uh, the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness. Testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you keep his commandments or not. So what was the purpose of the fasting of Jesus? The fasting of Jesus was necessary to showcase his humility, his humility, his dependence upon his Father and the Holy Spirit. And it was also important to showcase what was in his heart, which is his desire to serve God. 
And you see, fasting does exactly that. Fasting reveals what is in our heart. One author who has, who has written uh, quite lengthy on, on, on this topic, Richard Foster, he says, listen to this, more than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. And he says this, imagine you fasting, and he says, At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. Then we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. Isn't it? Fasting reveals what is in our heart. So, so you'd be fasting and then later in the day, you know, you, you, you lose your temper or you shout or you get angry. And then what excuse do you give? Ah, oh, you know, it's because I, um, I didn't eat anything. I'm, I'm fasting. But the truth is, not, it's not because you are fasting, really. It's because that fasting reveals what is in our hearts. So, so fasting uh, in this purpose was to display the humility of Jesus Christ, and to showcase what was truly in the heart of Jesus Christ. And so the first temptation, brothers and sisters, is not particularly about food and eating, but it's it's about casting doubt on the goodness of God. Listen to Matthew 4 verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The devil was saying to Jesus, what? The son of God? Hungry? Why? To showcase your humility and to demonstrate your total dependence upon the Father and the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Shame, man. Why is God doing this to you? God wants to humble you? The son of God? Come on, God wants to humble you. Exalt yourself at once. Turn these stones into bread. Is it right that God should subject the Son of God to such limitations? Isn't this what the devil was saying to Eve in the garden? Is it right that God should subject you to such limitations? Come on, God is trying to deny you the good stuff. So the devil does the same to Jesus. He approaches Jesus and he says, Hey, Jesus, are you the son of God? Why are you fasting then? Where is your glory? Where is your pomp? Where is your splendor? Where is your majesty? Why does your father subject you to such pathetic and humiliating exercises? Why humble yourself? Why must you rely on him? You deserve better than this. The son of God. Are you the son of God? Come on. Reveal your power at once. Turn these stones into bread and show everyone who's boss. See, the temptation is to doubt the goodness of God in what God is doing in your life. This is where the danger is. The temptation, in short, is this. 
the demands of God are not fair. You cannot be subjected to this. See, the devil was tempting Jesus to take matters into his own hands. The devil was saying, Jesus, take a shortcut to glory. Jesus, you deserve better than this. Jesus, come on, reveal your power at once. Turn these stones into bread and show everyone who is in charge. And I know you can do it. Do it, Jesus. Reveal your glory at once. Take a shortcut to glory. Away with this humility. Do you see the the tricks of the devil? He goes for your weaknesses and then he uses those weaknesses to make you doubt the goodness of God about the purposes of God in your life. He says, God has no right to deny you that. God is unfair. Do you realize that God is unfair? He He says to you, God delights in your suffering. God is too restrictive. This is the temptation. Now, how does Jesus respond? Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, the idea here is not that Bible study is better than breakfast. Here's the key. And here's the first defense. Honoring God by doing what God has instructed in the Bible is better than sinful, instant, physical gratification. That's the first defense. Honoring God by doing what God has commanded in his way is better than a quick relief. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look here, Jesus, throughout this warfare with the devil, he is quoting Deuteronomy. And, you know, why does he, does he not go to Psalms? Why does he not go to Genesis, to Exodus, to Leviticus, to Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Jesus just goes to, to Deuteronomy to show the devil that I'm loaded. I can take you from just two chapters in the Bible. I can't take you anywhere else, but look, I'll just be confined here. And listen to this. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you'd keep his commandments. And he humbled you and led you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, One theologian, Franz R.T., makes a a comment of this section. He says, uh, uh, Jesus' use of this Old Testament text shows that he understood his experience of hunger as God's will for him at that time. And to evade that would be to call in question God's priorities and to set himself at odds with the Father's plan. As God's son, Jesus must trust and obey and comply with his father's purposes because it was his father's purposes for him to humble himself and go through the wilderness experience. Jesus responds by saying, my fasting was to show that I am the true and better Israel. My fasting was to humble me. My fasting 
was to display my obedience and dependence to God. But if I turned these stones into loaves, I would be exalting myself. I would be bringing attention to myself. I would be displaying my pomp, my majesty, my miraculous power. I would be announcing myself as the magnificent one, the glorious one, the splendid one. But now is not my time to do that. So listen here, devil. No, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, Jesus takes this temptation, he spins it around, and he throws it back at the devil. Man does not live by yielding to their physical desires, but by trusting in God and obeying his commandments. Man does not live by yielding to drugs, to alcohol, to food, to pornography, to dissatisfaction, to gossip, to money, to greed, to pride, to complaining, to false speech, to pride, and to cheating. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Honoring God by doing what God has commanded in the Bible is better than instant physical gratification. Honoring God is better than quick relief. Man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not live by yielding to his physical desires, but by being obedient to what God has commanded and has revealed in his word. Things may be hard. Following God may look difficult and unnecessary. Your friends might think that you are strange, you are weird, you are outdated, you are trapped in the past. Your friends might think you are restricting yourself. Your, thing, your friends, uh, your, your family, your colleagues, your neighbors, your relatives might think that what you are doing is foolish by being obedient to God. But brothers and sisters, remember honoring God is better than sinful instant gratification. Jesus in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. Jesus is the true and better Israel. Because when Israel was in the wilderness, they looked at the immediate situation and forgot the promises of God. They forgot about the character of God. They impugned on the character of God. Their sinfulness made them to charge God of being evil. They engaged in revelry. Exodus chapter 32 tells us that uh, they engaged in, in, in revelry. You know, uh, the definition of, of revelry is lively and noisy festivities, especially when these involve drinking large amounts of alcohol. And when, when Israel was in the wilderness, this is what they engaged in. But what did Jesus do when he was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil? He remembered the word of God. He remembered that the way to glory is through suffering. He did not take the shortcut to glory. Jesus is our triumphant savior. You see, when he was tempted to take a shortcut to glory, he remained steadfast on the principles of God. When he was tempted to question the ways of God, he entrusted himself to the 
the loving hands of his father. And when he was made to feel like he was getting an unfair treatment, he knew that his glory was coming. And when he was tempted to go for an instant fix, he remained strong and honored God. When he was tempted to doubt the goodness of God in the midst of difficult circumstances, he recited the word of God and trusted in the promises of God. Jesus is our triumphant Savior. Honoring God is better than instant sinful pleasure. Jesus is our triumphant Savior, the true Son of God. He is attested by his triumph over temptation and sin. You see, the first foundational principle in fighting temptation is to realize that obeying God is better than the instant, temporary pleasure of sin. Let's turn to our next temptation and see how Jesus triumphed. 5 to 7, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, listen to these words again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the rock. All right. (laughs) The devil is kicking into fifth gear. So, okay, Jesus, you love scripture, huh? All right, one not, I, I, I concede. You hit me there with the Bible verse. <laughs> Let me give you a Bible verse now. The devil took him to the holy city. He set him on the pinnacle. Says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For this time, Jesus, for it is written. <laughs> it is written. Do something with that. You see, the devil failed in the first temptation, but he will not give up. He will not give up. You see, he, he, he uses all tricks. He will, he, will, he, will, he will even quote scripture and misapply it. The devil quotes Psalm 91 in this case, and it says exactly that. There's just one verse that he leaves out, which is uh, immaterial, really. But it says exactly that. See, the devil says to Jesus, fly, fly, Jesus. The scriptures say that you won't fall. Psalm 91, verse 11 to verse 12. It says, God will send angels to, uh, to catch you, you see. <laughs> fly, Jesus. What is the temptation here? Here's the temptation. Deliberately put yourself in a dangerous situation and then demand God's assistance. That's the temptation. You see, the devil has quoted the scripture correctly so, but he misapplied it. You see, here's the problem. The devil is saying, act as if God exists to serve you. Act as if God exists. Force God's hand. Fly, Jesus. God has to protect you. He has no choice. You are the son of God. He he has to. He has to. Fly. Throw yourself down. How does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond? Look at verse 7. 
Then Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, what does it mean to test God? To test God is to, to act or behave as if God exists to save you. Uh, this is what it means to test God. See, Jesus responds also from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, which speaks about the situation of the Israelites, which is described in Exodus chapter 17. See, uh, the Israelites came to a place where there was no water. And, uh, and, and if you track the history of the Israelites from Exodus chapter 15, uh, they, they seem to be coming to these places without water. You know, in Exodus chapter 15, uh, they went to a place where uh, it's called uh, Mara. And, uh, and when they got there, the water was bitter. And then God told, and they, they grumbled and said, come on, Moses, you want us to die here of thirst? What is wrong with you? Now you're bringing us to this place. You want us to die of thirst? I mean, we could have died in dignity in Egypt. And you bring us here into the wilderness to die of thirst in Exodus chapter 15. And then uh, uh, God tells Moses to, to throw a log in the water. And then the bitter water turns into sweet water. And then uh, Israel, the, they are appeased only for a moment. They keep grumbling. Exodus 15, Exodus 16. They keep grumbling. Exodus 17. They get to another place and there's no water and they're getting thirsty. And now they tell Moses, come here, look here, Moses. If we don't, the next time when we see you, if we don't have water, you're a dead man. We're going to stone you. And Moses appeals with God. These people are grumbling. Even when you have led them through the wilderness, you've led them through the Red Sea. They've seen all these miracles. They've seen the manna that you provided. They've seen you do miraculous things. And then just this one setback of not having water, they've lost trust in you. And now they say they want to kill me. And they're making demands. And this is their biggest sin. The Israelites... In Exodus chapter 17, they tell Moses, look here, uh, if next time we see you, we don't have water, you are a dead man. And while you go and talk to God, go ask him this question. Is God amongst us? Eh? <laughs> the nerve. You know... Even, even with a, a normal father and son relationship, can you imagine you are, you are at university and perhaps you're waiting for, you're waiting for money from, from your parents? And, and, and they said, no, we'll send it Friday night. And then uh, perhaps Saturday morning you check your, your phone and the money has not appeared in your account. Uh, would you have the nerve to call your parents and say, are you for me? But the Israelites do that, you know. I say, well, you know, there's this slight delay in our expectation. And uh, is God amongst us? Uh, really, is this the question to ask when, when, when this same God has been protecting you during the day as a pillar of cloud and at night as a fire, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God with you? And now you ask, 
Is God amongst us? See, uh, Psalm 95 makes a commentary on this passage. It says, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. You see, it's not like these people did not see God acting in miraculous ways. The, the Israelites should have been the last people to question whether Jehovah was amongst them. You see, they survived the plagues, they survived the Passover, the crossing of the Red Sea. They had seen the Shekinah glory. They saw Moses turn bitter water into sweet water. They dwelled in the area of springs, pools, and palm trees. They saw victory in battle. But they still grumbled and complained and moaned during all of this setback. And they said, is Jehovah amongst us? So Jesus responds by saying, I'm not going to be like the Israelites and say and, and test God. You see, the meaning here is, is do not behave as if God exists to save you. Never twist scripture to demand what God has not promised. The devil quotes Psalm 91, but he misapplies it. You see, God has never made a promise to catch people jumping off buildings. God has never done that. You see, in other words, never do foolish things and expect God's protection. Don't call foolishness faith. Dangerous faith. Huh? Don't dare God. Don't give God an ultimatum. Don't challenge God. Don't make yourself God's boss. Don't test God. Don't deliberately put yourself in a dangerous situation and expect God's protection. What are some of the ways we test God in our lives? Uh, sometimes when people make a hasty decision to quit your job without a plan, and, and you think that's faith. Brothers and sisters, that's testing God. When you rush into a relationship or a marriage with an unbeliever, Brothers and sisters, you are testing God. That's, that's not legalism. That's the Bible. Believers are not to be married with unbelievers. When you neglect your physical health, that's testing God. When, when you're not resting enough, not sleeping enough hours, not, not uh, neglecting your spiritual health. See, being unwise with how you spend your money, uh, being heavily indebted. Are you testing God? I tell you that for sure. Oh, praying for God to give you obedient children, but failing to raise them in the ways of the Lord. You see, praying for spiritual growth. Say, oh, oh, you know, God, I want to, want to be uh, on fire for you. Uh, but neglecting the normal means of grace, such as fellowship, Bible intake, and prayer. Not having boundaries in your relationships, but expecting to remain pure. <laughs> not studying and then asking us to pray that you pass your exams. <laughs> Don't deliberately put yourself in a foolish or a dangerous situation and then expect God's protection. Let's look at the third temptation. This next temptation shows 
the devil's final temptation and a glimpse into the evil nature of Satan to want to be God. Matthew 4, verse 8 to 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. See, from the mountain top, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. Well, you might be asking, how, how did this happen? It could have been a vision. Uh, but the, the Bible tells us that, uh, you know, uh, the devil is showing Jesus uh, they, all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. You see, not in their weaknesses, in their splendor. Uh, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms. See, the devil could have shown Jesus the entire Roman Empire. Uh, Look at this Roman Empire. See how it has conquered all the way to, uh, uh, from from Rome to North Africa. Uh, Look at how how strong and how powerful it is. Uh, You see, Satan could have shown Jesus the Han Dynasty in China. Or he could have uh, taken him and shown him Africa and all its kingdoms. See, they could have gone into the future to look at the Soto kingdom, the, the Swazi kingdom, the Batswana kingdom, and maybe the Zulu kingdom. <laughs> see, they could have gone to our time today to see the superpowers. Russia, USA, Great Britain, Europe. The devil looks at Jesus and says, all this wealth is yours. Just for one gesture. Bend the knee. (laughs) Come, Jesus. I want to make you king of kings right now. I want to make you king of kings right now. I give it to you, Jesus. King of kings. King of kings. Bend the knee, man. It's a small gesture. See, the gist of the temptation was for Jesus to to obtain the crown without enduring the cross. Go straight to glory. Forget about the cross. Claim your kingdom at once. How does Jesus respond? Jesus is decisive now. He says, get out here, Satan. Uh, these words that Jesus said to Peter, because Peter was also doing the same thing. Now, nah, don't go to the cross. Uh-uh, we're not about the cross. We're about the throne. <laughs> See, it's important to remember that the devil cannot give what he promises. He doesn't have the character nor the means to fulfill his promises. You see... Then Jesus says to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So Jesus takes charge now. He says, All right, the battle is over now, Satan. He responds with scripture again. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, remember the Shema. Hear, O Israel, that the Lord your God is one, and him only shall you serve. 
See, Jesus says, I will serve my father by doing what he has called me to do. I will endure the cross. I will worship my God. My exaltation will come. But now, Jesus, take this. And, and even though Jesus said this in the future, in his ministry, this is what was in his heart. But now, Satan, take this. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Luke 9, 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's my task. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be saved, but to save and to give his life a ransom for many. Be gone! Satan. How can we fight temptation here as a church in Pretoria West? Give temptation or give sin its real biblical name. You see, uh, when you say that uh, I'm struggling with my eyes and you don't say, well, I have, I'm struggling with lust. You see, when you say lust, you give it its real name, it's weighty. And then we fight temptation together. See, sin grows stronger in its secrecy. But as a church, we, we exist here not only to evangelize, but to edify the saints. Not only to evangelize the lost, but to edify the saints. So we fight sin together. That's why we have GCs. We have normal means of grace. We have scripture, we have fellowship. You've got other mature believers that you can depend upon here in this church. You can speak to Pastor Donovan if you're not sure who to talk to. You can uh, speak to Heather if you don't know who to talk to. You. you see, we fight sin together. By the normal means of grace, scripture, fellowship, church attendance, prayer. Also, brothers and sisters, and this is, is, is my assurance uh, to you uh, as a leader in this church uh, that we fight sin graciously. When someone tells you their struggles, uh, I, can, I can tell you I'm not going to react like it's over with you. And, and, and no one in this church has that attitude. We fight sin graciously and we fight sin aggressively. We wage war on sin. We want to cut it at its, at its root. We want to deal with it decisively. We don't want to be comfortable with it. And we fight sin, hopefully. We are empowered to conquer sin by Christ. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bring salvation to everyone. And he instructs us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives in this present age. We have the power to conquer sin. And that's why we will fight sin and temptation, hopefully. Defense 1, honor God by doing what he has instructed in the Bible because it is better than sinful instant gratification. Defense number two, don't behave as if God exists to serve you. Defense three, God alone is worthy of worship and service. Live for him. Don't take the glory to yourself. Lord, we thank you for your word that equips us and rebukes us, brings us closer to you, helps us to live a life worthy of the gospel, a life that glorifies you and honors you in all things. We thank you.
for this time of worship. And we ask that you keep us steadfast, uh, depending upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.